You're listening to a podcast presented by Providencia West Palm Beach, a church that exists for the flourishing of all people located in the city center of West Palm Beach, Florida. Our hope is to love our city, listen to your story, and practice the grace of God. We hope you enjoy this content. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Um, well, as I started to prepare for this Sunday um, to preach on this passage in the midst of everything that was going on, um, I realized that I was finding it very difficult to think about what I could say or what could be said um, in the midst of so many things, which we'll get into in just a minute. Um, But as Sarah Claire and I started talking about it a little bit, I realized it would be a lot easier to do this together than to try to stand up here by myself um, and and talk about some of these things. Um, And Sarah Claire was kind enough to agree to to do this. Um, So I'm really grateful that you're here with me. But will you say, even if just for the podcast recording, who you are and Mm. what you do around here? Yes, I'm Sarah Claire. I'm on staff, and I um, my focus is soul care. Um, I'm a therapist, and during the day, and um, so my heart is really the integration of um, soul care and mental health and emotional health within the church. So that's the gift that I get to give and receive here um, in our community. I do small groups, our story groups, and um, yeah, just get to get to be present with you all, which is really what I want to do. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks for um, inviting me. Part of, uh, part of what I think is a good practice for us when we come to reading the Bible is uh, asking ourselves this question, where are you today? Um, not just like physically what location are you in, but... What headspace are you in? What's going on in your heart and your mind? What's going on around you? All of those things affect how we come to scripture and how we read these stories. Um, And as I was trying to ask myself that question this past week and give an honest answer, I was finding it really difficult to give the honest answer. Um, Because as I read this passage from Luke 24 at the beginning of the week, I had to admit that reading this story about Jesus ascending to heaven in the midst of everything that was going on in our world on the earth this week, um, it made this passage almost feel meaningless, too far removed from what was going on to be able to touch anything. Our week started one week ago today, Sunday. We received the news of our dear brother Chris passing away in the early hours of Sunday morning. And then we met Sunday morning at Memorial and Sunday evening here at Providencia and tried to process some of that together. And then Monday, there was a report released by the Southern Baptist Convention that outlined in horrific detail sexual abuse and sexual misconduct among pastors in that denomination 
And then Tuesday, we got news of another mass shooting, another school shooting. This one in Texas, this one killing at least 21, most of whom were children. And in the midst of that, I mean, I had to think two weeks ago, my son Owen was scared to go to school because of what we had heard had happened at Dreyfus here in our own city. And so I couldn't even bring myself to talk about what was happening in Uvalde, Texas. And so in the midst of that, we've been trying, well, we have for several weeks been talking about the resurrection. We've been celebrating resurrection. We've been contemplating resurrection. Two weeks ago, I used the image of looking intently, staring down resurrection. And when we do that, it changes the whole narrative. But while we've been doing that for six weeks of this season of Easter, it feels like death has been knocking down our door. And so it feels like it's getting harder to hold the tension between hope and lament. And so that's where I had to admit I was coming to this passage about Jesus ascending to heaven. What was going on for you this week? Where are you today? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, when you asked me where I was when we first kind of talked about this, I had just returned from a trip. I was in Montana um, last week, had the wonderful opportunity to go to this beyond comprehension place for a Florida girl like me, or like city girl. I just, that's not a place I have frequented. Um, The grandeur in the mountains in the West, and it was like, wow. And so I was interacting with this scripture, um, kind of in a van, driving through Glacier National Park. And I'm, you know, kind of getting these blurbs when my phone would send me a new message of Chris's passing, or, you know, my phone would send me a text of the Southern Baptist Convention or the shootings. And man, it was really that same tension that you were reflecting of like the ascension and then reality um, was something that I was kind of wrestling with of like reality back at home and my people and grief and confusion and pain. And then I am like totally removed from it. And I'm watching grizzly bears, like literal grizzly bears, like walk around (laughs) and like mountain goats jump mountains and eagles fly over a lake near snowy caps of mountain. And it it was a very confusing, almost emotionally like, wow, there are two things happening at once and I am invited to hold the tension of this. Um, And that kind of relates in this scripture as well, meeting these disciples who are like holding this tension of Jesus explaining things to them and then leaving after this very extreme like circumstances that they had all lived through. Um, So coming to this, Uh, I was very, I was kind of pulled in those two extremes as well, Mm. which was like a little overwhelming and and also like, hmm, this is worth checking in with myself to be like, what am I bringing into this? Because then what was, you know, what was being brought out of it, which we'll discuss more um, in a few moments, just like that was obvious to me where I locked in to the parts of the scripture that resonated with me based on where I was, what was going on. 
yeah, there's this, um, there's this distance created by kind of just the events that are happening mm-hmm. in this story where Jesus is ascending. Um, but we're recognizing that that distance is, is a reality for us mm-hmm. a lot of times yep. when we come to these stories. Um, when I read this story in Luke 24, um, the first thing that came to my mind was something that happened with my son Owen a couple of years ago. Um, he's seven now, so he must have been five at the time, or maybe he was six. Um, but one night, he asked a question that I didn't have an answer to. And those of you who have kids or maybe will have kids one day, you will find out that those questions always come three minutes before bedtime. It's like, I can't answer that question right now. You have to go to bed. But this night, it was, Dad, where is Jesus? It's like, well... Uh, Jesus is with us. We, you know, we believe that Jesus' presence is always with He's like, no, 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 Dad, Dad. Jesus is a person. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus right now? And so I did what a good pastor would do. I phoned a friend. Um, I was like, you got to ask Rebecca's dad. Now, Rebecca's dad is Josh Malone, who's the theology professor at PBA, who's a good friend of ours and answers the hard questions with nice, neat theological answers. I was like, you got to ask Rebecca's dad because I, I don't have an answer for this. So that's what we did. And his answer came back as a nice, neat theological answer. It was something out of an ancient historic creed or something. It was Jesus has ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father and one day Jesus will return. I was like, thanks Josh, Dr. Malone. That's just going to invite 14 more questions from my five-year-old. But I gave him the answer anyway. I said, Owen, this is what Rebecca's dad said. And I was just braced for like, what are the next three or four questions going to be? And he was like, okay. Okay. It's like, I have, que- I have more questions for myself. Can I ask Dr. Malone some more questions? He was just like, okay. And it was a reminder to me that kids are much more comfortable with mystery than we are. I get that nice, neat theological answer and want to ask three more questions at least. But Owen's just like, okay. And so as I came to this passage, this idea of mystery and wanting to be able to try to embrace the confusion, the sort of sense of mystery in this passage of what's actually happening was something I tried to start holding, especially as we started talking about this. Um, And in some senses, this conversation is a little bit of a peek behind the curtain because we do talk during the week every once in a while. Um, And a lot of this conversation is what we're just repeating for you all, because as we were talking about it, um, these are the things that were coming up. So when you read the passage Mm -hmm. in a van in the mountains or whatever, what kind of things were you getting just from the text? Um, That I, I think I identified it even today clearer than I did when I first read it, but there's this emotion of jealousy when Jesus is explaining to the disciples, it says he opened their minds so that they would understand the scriptures. And I was like, wait, can I have that? Like, can I get that? Open my mind, Come on, because like, I need that. And they're, like, even just sitting tonight, it's like, there's a jealousy that they had that and that I'm still here sometimes being like, what is happening? And I wonder, because I feel that, and I know I'm probably not alone, if like we feel that sometimes, if that's a collective 
um, when we're vulnerable and when we're honest, if we are able to be like, I don't understand this story. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. And I think that growing up, I grew up a Christian, I've been a Christian forever, like I have had exposure to so many different thoughts and theologies and denominations and books and ideas around Christianity and being certain uh, and be, having clear answers and clear understanding and clear theology and the clear doctrine and dogma was kind of the destination that I was given, that I had to have that in order to feel at peace, that I had to have that in order to be a good Christian. Um, so it's kind of this like stressful, I have to be certain. And I don't think that I've ever felt certainty. Mm. And then I feel this like shame in a way for like not being able to access that. But then I'm seeing that you know, the, there's a Richard Rohr quote that says, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Mm. And when I fall into that, I have to get all of this, like I need to understand it all, um, and therefore have to be certain, I think it removes some of that mystery and that wonder and that experiential thing that we get to experience with God. Um, so w the part of the scripture that grabbed me was like God understanding, God in Christ understanding they don't get it all. Mm. So I'm gonna help them. I'm gonna open their minds and I'm gonna explain it to them again. I can't imagine how many times Jesus actually told them what yeah. he said in that scripture. Like he kind of laid it out a lot for us. Um, but there's something comforting in like, I'm not supposed to get it fully. Um, because I think I want to. And God kind of saying, I'm going to open your minds. I'm going to help you understand um, felt important to me. So that's kind of where the confession was birthed out of and where this conversation of mystery versus certainty came out of. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone because this conversation happened with us and I wonder if it happens, you know, for yeah. us as a collective as well. Yeah. yeah. And there's a sense um, in which the, that feeling of being overwhelmed mm -hmm. by this story, um, I think is actually in the way Luke structures this whole story. Mm. Um, it's not just this last passage, but if we go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 24, um, so this is the last chapter of Luke's gospel. And at the beginning of Luke 24, the first line is something like early on the first day of the week, the women got up and went to the tomb. Jesus is still dead in the tomb at the beginning of Luke 24. Which is just a little bit of a glimpse of how fast the events are going to move. There's a lot going on. There's a <laughs> lot that's going on. Yeah. yeah, and so the women go to the tomb, and they find the stone rolled away, and they rush back to the disciples, and they say what they've seen. The stone is rolled away. He's not there. An angel told us he's risen. And the disciples in Luke's account, they're not really sure what to do. They all pretty much sit tight. Peter runs to the tomb. Peter sees an empty tomb and Jesus' grave clothes. But then the text tells us Peter wonders what this might mean. Even Peter's not sure yet at this point in the story. And then Luke tells us that on the very same day, there were two who were walking the road to Emmaus. And then there's this famous story where these two are walking along and Jesus appears with them and Jesus walks along with them and asks them some questions, opens their mind and tells them of himself through the scriptures. And then when they get to Emmaus and they stop for the night, Jesus is sitting at the table with them and they still don't know that it's Jesus. They haven't recognized him the entire walk on this road. 
And then when Jesus sits down with them and breaks bread with them and gives it to them the way he did with his disciples at the Last Supper, they recognize that it's Jesus. And then immediately, those same two get up from the table and go straight back to Jerusalem. And they tell the disciples, who are still hunkered down in Jerusalem, we've seen him. It's true. He is risen. And then we're told that while that is happening, Jesus appears in that room. All on the same day. And he says, here are my hands and my feet. Believe. And after that conversation in that room, in Luke's account, he leads them out as far as Bethany. He blesses them and he ascends to heaven and he's gone. And all of that happens in the space of whatever it is, 53 verses. This is the end of the chapter, Luke 24. It's just one thing after another. And that sense of being overwhelmed by what's going on, and I'm not sure how to make sense of any of this, is built into the way Luke has told this story. We find out from the other Gospels and from Acts that this is happening over a longer period of time, but Luke has structured the story almost to overwhelm us. And so that sense of being overwhelmed is built into the story. And what happens then at the end, as the disciples are overwhelmed, bewildered, confused, whatever feelings they're having, Jesus ascends to heaven, and then the text tells us they worshipped him. And they experienced great joy. And they were constantly meeting together in Jerusalem. These are their responses. And there's something profound about them landing in this place of worship in the midst of this bewildering narrative, confusing series of events. Does that make sense? Does, the, what, does it make sense to land on worship? Well, when we got there, I was like, ah, what? Like, that's what, that's what they did. And then I was like, okay, Drew, and my non, like, like non, how do I say, as smart as you about the Bible brain? <laughs> how do I say that? All right. Yeah, I'm not, and that's okay. <laughs> but in that world, I love to ask people that know more than me. So I was like, Drew, can you help me understand what that means? Because we, as we live in this world, and we are, I'm oriented towards the word worship in a way that like, oh, you mean Providencia at five o'clock on Sundays? Or you mean like... I put on worship music in my car, you know, like Hillsong, or like, what do you mean? So I think when we were able to unpack that, I think that's important for me to continue to unpack and remember what that truly means. Mm. And so anyway, do you want to give the answer that you gave me? Well, because it's I, helpful. Yeah, I'll try to. Um, I mean, the first thing I said was, uh, was something about worship not being certainty, because mm -hmm. we'd already been talking about certainty and, and mystery and um, worship is not certainty. It's not birthed out of a place of certainty. And we get, so Luke and Acts go together. Luke writes Luke and writes Acts. And the story in Acts chapter 1 after Luke 24 is a mirror story of Luke 24. It's the exact same final events of Jesus's time on earth before he ascends. And in that story in Acts 1, Jesus says to them something very similar to what we have in Luke 24. Wait here in the city until the power that I promised you, the one I prom that my Father promised, the Holy Spirit, comes on you in power. Wait here for that. 
And then the disciples ask this question, Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time that you will restore Israel's fortunes? This is one, a question that is desperate for certainty. They're like, I'm not exactly sure what's happening or what this power, Holy Spirit thing that you're talking about, Jesus, is going to be. So let me ask a question that I can nail down. Is now the time? But it's also a question that is begging for war. The question is now the time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel. Is the question, is now the time that we overthrow our Roman oppressors? Is now the time to depose the Roman ruler out of Israel? It's a question of war. And it's the wrong question Jesus makes clear in that story in Acts 1. But the disciples demonstrate for us that they're desperate for certainty in the same way we are when we're met with an overwhelming story, a story we don't maybe fully understand, can't fully understand. But worship isn't birthed out of certainty. Worship is more an embrace of mystery, an embrace of some bits of uncertainty, some bits of doubt, some bits of even unbelieving sometimes. We, we did this in some ways last week when we met in the midst of receiving news of a friend dying, we sang songs together. I don't remember exactly what songs we sang, but we sang things like, you are near again, there is no separateness, when we feel separated from God. We read passages like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, when it feels like we lack everything in that moment. Last week, one of our passages from the lectionary was Revelation 21, a passage about there being a time when there will be no more night. And that's in the midst of darkness that we read that passage last week. And so in the midst of that, I have to admit for myself, and maybe some of you were in this place as well, I had a hard time believing those words even as they came out of my mouth. And so worship is not born out of a place of certainty. It's instead born out of something else. And what I think is going on at the end of Luke 24 when the disciples worship Jesus is they are recognizing Jesus as one with the Father. In terms of the historical background of Luke 24, the most surprising word in this story is the word worship. Because the Jews are not supposed to worship anyone other than Yahweh. That's idolatry, to worship Jesus, unless Jesus is one with Yahweh. And so Luke is making that statement in the end of his gospel and so the disciples are making a distinction there, a recognition that Jesus is God and God is God and we are not. That's worship. God is wholly other than us. And then finally, worship is 
humbling. The verb in Greek has something to do with laying your face on the ground. This isn't something that we practice very much in Christian traditions, the bowing our face to the ground, but that's what the verb means. It's part of what it means. And so there's a humbling act in worship. And in the sense of trying to embrace the mystery, embrace some uncertainty about what all of this means, for me, that's where worship is actually helpful. I can sing together with this community and with a larger Christian community across the globe, even when I don't feel those words. We can read passages together. We can pray together. Keith can stand up here. I don't know how Keith preached on his own last week. This is part of why I've got someone else up here with me. I don't know how Keith stood up here and did it last week. But Keith can stand here and say a phrase like, the resurrection's got us. It's a phrase he used that stuck with me all week. The resurrection's got us. So we can go deep into the depths of grief. We can be there with Carrie Wood, with communities that are suffering from mass shooting. We can be in solidarity in the depths of grief, in the valley of the shadow of death, because the resurrection's got us. I don't know what that mystery is, but that's a mystery that we're trying to hold. And we do that despite, despite unbelief, despite doubt. Say a little bit about what, spark, what was sparked for you um, when we talked about worship? Mm-hmm. Um, one of my hopes in leading us is that I would, and that we would, as a leadership, continue to remind each other of our humanity, right? That like having human emotion and being vulnerable and what we do when we're vulnerable would be normalized in a way so that we could have compassion on ourselves so that we could connect. That's kind of like the heartbeat. Um, And so even in this, worship is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Being certain is the band-aid we put on our own vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So I think that really, you know, when I have been able to embrace my own humanity and God's godness and my not godness, it is vulnerable, it is humbling, but it also gives birth to just a whole new experience. And I think the one of the, I told myself every time I have a mic and I'm gonna talk to people about faith, I'm gonna say this thing, so I'm gonna say it. But it, it kind of turned a little even reading this about worship is um, Brene Brown uh, said that the thing that helped her come back to faith was imagining church or Christ or the gospel not as an epidural that takes our pain away, but as a midwife who sits with us and holds our hand and says, push, I'm here, keep breathing. It's not, it's going to hurt, but like, I'm going to be here. And after kind of processing all of this together with Drew and with just today um, with both communities of Memorial and you all now, it feels like worship is that same midwife. So if I now know I don't have to be certain, I don't have to have all the answers, I don't have to understand it all, but I still want to be here. I still want to give birth to what, what this grief is going to 
give birth, what my faith experience is gonna give birth to. I still want to be here and it's not gonna be comfortable always, but I have a God and I have a community that is the midwife that says, push, I'm here. Mm -hmm. And if we can come to worship, not as an epidural, but as the midwife as well, if that practice of humbling and saying, God, you're God and I'm not, and I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna like hope for this and I'm gonna live in wonder and mystery, if we can do that, um, it will help us through it. It will not get us out of it, Mm. but what beauty can come through that and what closeness. So that's really, it's helping me see worship as a part of this whole thing in a new way. That's good. Um, as we move toward a time of communion, um, I want to finish with uh, a, a prayer from the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. Um, this is a prayer that really stood out to me because it's a prayer for Ascension Day. It's a prayer that we specifically use on this day. I didn't mention that explicitly in, um, in what we said, but... Um, For these six or seven weeks, we've been in the season of Easter, and we're coming to the end of the season of Easter. We celebrate the Ascension, the Sunday before Pentecost Sunday. Next week is Pentecost Sunday. So this Sunday being Ascension Sunday, in the Anglican tradition, they read this prayer, which says, Almighty God, whose blessed Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Mercifully give us faith to perceive that according to his promise, he abides with his church on earth, even to the end of the ages. Almighty God, whose Son ascended to the heavens that he might fill all things, Give us faith to perceive that he abides as he promised with his church. Thanks for joining us for this episode. The work we do is made possible by your partnership and generosity. If you enjoyed the content and would like to support our work, please visit providenciawpb.org and click on the give link. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show was written, produced, and recorded by our music collective, Paradise Hymns. Find their original songs wherever you stream music. Thanks again, and have a blessed day.